Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, a weekly podcast where a couple of seminary profs uh, study uh, the passage for the week in the uh, Revised Common Lectionary and swap some sermon ideas and just uh, enjoy exploring the scriptures together. I'm your host, uh, John Drury, and I'm here with my regular co-host, Aaron H.M. Perry. Hi, John. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. <laughs> John L. Yeah, John L. Drury. There you go. Um, and yeah, so uh, we're just going to jump right in, I think, and get to the text and see where it leads us. Um, so I'm, uh, I've got open my uh, website that I usually use here, and we're coming up on February 3rd. Uh, is coming up this Sunday, and that's the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. Um, and the text assigned, if I'm reading this correctly, is Luke 4, verses 21 through 30. Luke 4, 21 through 30. So I'm going to turn there. I think that's the same chapter as last week, so maybe it's just continuing... The story. We're picking up where it left off, yes. maybe. Is it? Yes. Sweet. Well, but it stinks because I've already given my best insights. Oh! I was like drawing from later on in the text. Were you? Well, isn't that a bummer? But this is a fresh text. See? It's a fresh text it's a t- now. <laughs> We're testing the entire premise of the podcast, which is the texts can be fresh again yes. and again and again and again. So, well, there we go. Uh, do you mind reading? I know I kind of always no. ask you to read. Oh, I but, would just uh, expect it. I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is Luke 4, verses 21 through 30. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which pre- proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sun was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray for our time of study right now. Father, we ask that the very spirit that inspired these words might be at work in our hearts and minds right now. Open the eyes of our mind to see clearly, to make truthful and uh, faithful observations of this written text. And open also the ears of our heart, that we might hear what word you are having uh, to say to us 
and our offering to those in our hearing and those who are studying this text with us. And Lord, open us, our whole selves, to the movements that you have by your Spirit this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so we we did make some observations here. We're still in the Epiphany season, and so this is a continuation of this uh the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke. And I mean, I haven't looked ahead a lot in the Revised Common Lectionary, but I do know that you, your C is Luke and it will kind of hit a bunch of highlights in Jesus' life from here through Easter. There should, there's going to be a lot of stuff from Luke, relatively sequential would be my guess from other years and memory. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of wondering what we're, uh, what we see, what we hear, what we notice when we encounter this uh, this part of the story. I was struck by the detail, like okay. in the story, I, I in the story that Jesus tells, you know, I, I mm. always knew that he, he says something about widows and lepers, right? But like, you know, I tell you the truth, you know, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came out, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. This uh, sort of very detailed summary mm-hmm. of events, um, you know, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. You know, it's like, um, I don't know, it, it, I'm, I'm struck by, especially, I remember last week we were talking quite a bit about Isaiah and whether he's like, you know, this was supposedly like a sermon on Isaiah and we 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 explored whether the this was the text assigned or he picked it or whatever. Um, but then interestingly, this then ends up becoming a, like a little sermon on, on, you know, uh, first and second Kings, right. And on Elijah and Elisha are kind of really the, the focus. Now he's kind of making this connection to another part of mm-hmm. the canon. And yeah, the, 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 all the little details, I, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to be done with that, but it just struck me. It's interesting to see Jesus as a theologian here. <laughs> yeah. Right? He, he's in the midst of, of a, a conflict and yeah. kind of needing a way to make sense of it. And he goes to these stories, mm-hmm. which uh, he uses to make sense of it. You know, they're they're offended at, at and the way we looked at it last week, like they're offended at the fight he's kind of picking here. Mm-hmm. And he grabs some texts that, that back up um, what it is God's doing. Right, that he's gonna he's gonna be moved out from his hometown, and that's what God has done before. In fact, not just out of people's hometown, but but out of his chosen people, right, into Sidon, uh, into the Syrians. You know, it's interesting to watch yeah. watch the theologian kind of emerge here, and and in a way, continue the preaching of a sermon. Right? He's, yeah, he's caught in a he's caught in a scenario. I don't mean caught as if he, as in he's passive. Is he passive? But there's a scenario. That's going on yeah. w- with Jesus by his own making in some ways. <laughs> and and now he's finding a text to, to use to to have something to say to those who are in his hearing. You know, the the the, the pastoral theologian is kind of emerging here. Yeah. Right? The ex the exegesis is happening on the fly, but but uh yeah. Jesus is a theologian happening right before our, our eyes here. Yeah, well they called him rabbi, mm-hmm. which means right pastoral theologian in a way it means a a a a student of the scriptures one who teaches them to others and you know there really is a i mean i haven't spent much time reading rabbinic literature although i've read things that talk about it you know Mm -hmm. um but uh 
this has the flavor of rabbinic exegesis, like the way that rabbis would study texts, right? To to like, it even has the kind of almost uh, inquisitive questioning kind of logic, but really is a syllogism. Like he kind of says, you know, premise A, you know, uh, what we have in the text is that Elijah goes and heals this person who's not from the house of Israel. And Elisha does the same with Naaman, right? And then he says, you know, premise B, surely there were other widows, right? <laughs> and, I, and I have noted, I have read one thing from a, a book by Don Jewell, one of my teachers who's now uh, um, um, no longer living among us. But uh, he had a, has a book called Messianic Exegesis. And there, one of the principles he mentions is um, that rabbis often would say, if it's not in the text, it doesn't exist or something like that is basically the way it's translated, you know? Okay. And it's kind of this idea like, if there's a story of him healing uh, a Syrian, right? Elisha healing a Syrian, Elijah healing the woman, right? Um, and there's not another story of him doing any other healings, then that's it. That's the only healing story that, at least for the sake of, it doesn't mean that they were crazy and didn't think there weren't there were things outside the text. But when it comes to interpreting the text, you just work yeah, with what's there. there. That was a really core rabbinic principle, and I kind of see Jesus almost working at it there. Like, look, the text only mm. has. Elijah and Elisha, the stories of healing you see are of them healing those outside the house of Israel. This is telling us something. Ergo, you know, therefore, um, when, you know, God comes, he doesn't come just to help the, you know, the in-group. The, the, his way of transforming his people is precisely by gathering in the nations or something like that. I mean, you can kind of see him and he's weaving an argument. It's an argument. It's not just an assertion. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't the Johannine Jesus kind of saying, I am the way of life. You know, it's, 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 it's this Luke and Jesus who's engaged in a conversation, you know, like here, isn't this what the text means? Can't you see it? You know? Um, I don't know. That's a thought that popped in my head as we were talking, but Interesting. Their response is not to engage in what he has done. They don't get into a biblical discussion. That's right. It's just an act of force. Uh, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, <sighs> rose up, and thrust him out of the city. Yeah. You know, the, Man. Their response is not to, you know, to uh, <laughs> use a, a line from uh, Michael Scott on The Office, right? There's no rat a tat. It's all rat and no tat. You know, there's, there's Jesus' argumentation, and they're violent rejection of what he's of what he's just given to them as an explanation of of what's happening what's going on yeah oh that's that that's not unimportant right i mean especially because we, we we have these kinds of stories of jesus engaging in rat-a-tat-tat is it rat-a-tat, right <laughs> rat-a-tat-tat with pharisees right these are these famous mm-hmm. stories and 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 we tend to you know kind of uh get pretty uh heavy-handed on the Pharisees and understandably so they're often, they are the antagonist in a lot of these stories, but, but uh, at least they're engaging him, right? They're, they're engaging in debate in rat-a-tat-tat as this is just a kind of immediate hmm. rage filled rejection. It says they're just angry, yeah. totally it, angry with him for the claim that he's making here. I, I was just confirming my, my suspicion that there's no story of the Syrophoenician woman in Luke, right? So an interesting Thing that Matthew and Mark have an interesting story where Jesus seems to be huh. you know, keeping at arm's length this woman, right? And there's some playful banter that goes on there. Rat a tat tat. Some rat a tat tat. <laughs> but uh, not, not Luke's gospel. I don't know. Inter- interesting that 
out of this affirmation of the ministry that happens wow. in Sidon and, and Syria, there's no recounting of the Syrophoenician woman in Luke's gospel. Yeah, the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew, I'm trying to remember what chapter it's in. Um, I, can look. I think it's, it's later, right? It's after 10, right? Because he sends out the disciples only to the house of Israel yep. in Matthew 10, right? You know, and of course, Matthew has the Great Commission at the end and, and has signals of this. But, you know, you get the vibe in Matthew. It's more of a, you know, I bring the gospel here and then later it goes out to the nations. Mm. And, um, you know, whereas Luke here has got it right here in the inaugural dress, right? Right here in the opening moments of the of his adult ministry, right? Right after baptism and desert, he's already pushing this envelope of – Tire and Sidon, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. even one is, you know, because of the Syrophoenician woman, I think. She, are they in Tyre or Sidon? Uh, Matthew 15. Matthew 15 has that in Mark 7. Okay. So Matthew so 15. So it's after, well after the the first missioning that's just the house of Israel, which is chapter 10 of Matthew. Yeah. yeah. Matthew and is it Sidon? 15. They parted to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman go. of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, Have mercy, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Right? So then here, verse 26, And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Hmm. Right? So we're even getting the same kind of region. That's interesting. And it's a woman. <laughs> uh, to a woman who was a widow. I don't know. That's... I can see that this is performing a similar function per your observation. Yeah. Let me just kind of take this in another direction. And it, it wasn't what you had in mind at the start when you said noticing the details because I was noticing a lack of details. Totally something different. But but I would really like to know what it looks like to rise up, thrust into the city, <laughs> lead him to the brow of a hill, and then that they're going to throw him off. And then all of what's left out, passing through the midst of the <laughs> I love it. I like, love it. Is there not a haymaker in there? Like, is somebody not, like, pushed? You know, it's like, just total oh. lack of deep, like, and, and interesting. I mean, oh, yeah, that, yeah that the details. something, like, I want to get into, like, how'd that go down, right? Like, like how, what, <laughs> I want the, I want the, the video from, I want the YouTube video, like, what did that look like? What does it look like for Jesus to come against a, an angry mob, you know? Uh, but Luke, Luke doesn't care to tell us. I mean, he just tells us. He passed through the midst of them and went on his way. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, when I thought of details, thinking all the detail in his story. Right. Because this gets summarized often a little quicker, whereas he goes into a little bit of detail, which I think is making his point, uh, given your yeah, what he wants inside to about Sidon and right, he's drawing attention. But then the actual narrative detail outside of Jesus' sermon is so uh, just uh, – you know, brisk, right? Boom. Yep. Oh yeah. What a scene. Yeah. You're right. When you make it like a Jesus movie, it's like really hard to not like drag this scene out. Cause it's exciting. There's tension, but then the resolution is kind of uh, a little unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Although maybe there's, that's part of the point maybe. Cause it's this, this tension is not resolved, right? It does stay with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he, he comes up with some cool way of escaping, that ends up being coming this miracle that draws our attention. It reminds me of a few weeks back when we looked at the wedding in Cana, how we don't get much – like even the moment of water turning into wine is just completely skipped. You just get the result, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the focus is more on the dialogue and the, the, the other subtleties. But what a weird phrase. This has always struck me. This happens a ton in the book of John, right? Like 
Um, they tried to arrest him, but he, you know, but they, but they did not for his time had not yet come. Right. That's the way that John always puts it. Right? His time has not yet come. An hour has not yet come. Um, here you can almost feel that, that language here ready to be just added. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but passing through their midst. Yeah. But just going through the middle, the middle of them, he went on his way passing through the middle. I mean, was this something miraculous? Was this simply, uh, just in the confusion of a mob? Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. My curiosity is thoroughly stirred as well. <laughs> I'm trying to look at the big movements of the story. So Jesus complete or finishes it by saying how God sent Elijah and Elisha to those outside the people of Israel. Yet Jesus is here with the people of Israel, hmm. right, right in among them. And it, it's almost a, it, it's almost like a razor's edge, right? They have to choose which side they're going to be on. Um, are they going to be on the side that, uh, one being sent to one beyond them, right outside their community. Is that is that the way they're going to position themselves, or are they going to position themselves in a more humble, repentant way, grateful for one who is among them? Hmm. And um, right, their their action at the end shows which side they choose. You know, they're the ones who expel. Je- Interestingly, they're the ones who expel Jesus. Right. Jesus is not the one who sends them away from him. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who expel him. Uh, we get why. I mean, some of the offensive things he's saying, um, but that's the action they take. You know, and I think this is a good image of Jesus the prophet uh. as well. That not all prophets, not all prophetic words, lead to repentance. Mm. Some lead to the expulsion of the prophet, and seemingly that's what happens here. Um, it's not Jesus who who shakes the dust from his feet and leaves. It's them who mm. expelled him. Though you you sense, I wonder if he's seeing it coming, right? 23, 24, you know, um, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. You know, like, it's not like he's, that doesn't no, mean he, he's saying they have no choice. I mean, he, but he's definitely, he's uh, reading the moment. Yeah. 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 Moment. Yeah. That's fair. But that, and that's what I mean is, is he's going to, he's not going to leave this moment with lack of clarity, mm-hmm. right? That this conflict is here and he's not, he's not going to leave it ambiguous. And it's almost like, uh, maybe you could think of it as, of these words as last resort hmm. that um, boy, we don't want God to send blessings to other people. So what must we do? We want the blessing of God to stay with us and to be with his people. So what do we need to do? Right. That could have been a response. Hmm. You know, it's like rending the garments, like in Jonah, right? Like, yeah, exactly. right. 40 exactly. years, 40 yeah, days like, of prayer fasting. Oh, man, what? Like, what, what do we, what do, we do? do? Right. What yeah. do we need to do? Like Jesus has, Jesus has gone right to the end because it's this extreme a situation, which when I when we, last week we talked about being with family, you can sometimes get so frustrated with family mm. that, and, and sometimes we say things to family that we probably could have said a better way, but what we said truly reveals the stakes of the scenario that we're in mm. or the total jerk that somebody is being, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that happens and we are able to get the clarity and our words reveal the uh, intensity of the situation. I wonder uh, that's what I, I think that's what I mean by the razor's edge. Like his words put them on the razor's edge. Which which way are they going to go? Yeah, and they result in ex, ex, expelling him. Yeah, thinking of prophetic preaching and then the response. I'm thinking of the first sermon in the book of Acts, also written by Luke. Right. So if this is the kind of first sermon in the book of Luke in Luke's gospel, 
then in Luke's church history is yeah. Book of Acts. Yeah, 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 yeah. First sermon also has a big passage from a prophet, Joel, but then has some lines from the Psalms from David. And then at the end, and he doesn't really tell them exactly very well what to do. They actually like, I think they like exactly. beat their breasts and say, what do we do? Yeah. And he, then he tells them, repent. Yeah. And be baptized and you'll be saved, right? And and those are those are Jews, of course. They're 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 a uh, lot of diaspora Jews, right? Jews that are coming from uh, spread around the Roman oh. Empire and beyond. But still, I, I think that parallelism is not to be ignored, especially since Luke kind of moves this Nazareth story much earlier. It, it takes a little bit late, place a little later in Mark chapter three, I think, and only has the prophet in his hometown line. You don't have all the extra stuff. So this is kind of like this. It stands in parallel to Acts 2, I think, and that's worth exploring. Yeah, there are words in Acts 2, 37. When they, uh, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Yeah, right? okay. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah. gets a contrast in terms of response to prophetic yeah. preaching. And then that fits then in terms of history salvation. It's not, oh – the Jews reject him and the Gentiles receive him. It's not that simplistic because these are clearly Jewish people at the mm-hmm. Passover. Right. It's rather um, before and after Christ's death and resurrection. I mean, Jesus makes it pretty clear. Like I come to bring a sword, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the disciples don't really get it till after it's done, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, you need the whole story of Jesus for the thing to really click. Although nevertheless, you can say that the right response would have been Oh, how can we too be saved? Yeah. You know, yeah. because it is occurring to me like, I, it's really this is a, like a meta thing. Sorry, but like it's a common habit for me and for lots of Christian preachers to notice uh, how Christ's own people, the Jewish people, um, are kind of rigid and walled off, and then. And we can kind of like – sometimes we do that to try to br- highlight that we make that mistake, but it can often have this subtle kind of anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic kind of l- logic to it where it's kind of like those idiots don't get what we get. And, and 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 it really helps me to counterweight that habit of mine to actually like recognize the offensiveness of Jesus, to not just like be offended at their offense – which I think is what we often right. do as Christians. Yeah. We're, we take Jesus' side by default, as we should, and yet the, we don't carefully notice that there's actually something offensive here. And it just hit me. Uh, verse um, 26 and um, 27. And this goes back to that rabbinic exegesis, Jesus, but it's a detail I didn't notice. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, Right? Or later in 27, there were many lepers in Israel, yet um, only, but none of them was Mm. cleansed. Only name it. Right. He's not saying, here's how I've heard this sermon preached. I've probably preached it this way now that I think of it, right? This this text. Jesus wants to include the outsider and they're offended by that. Okay. Yeah. They're sometimes offended by that kind of thing. But like the text, Jesus isn't just including. This isn't a story of inclusion and diversity. This is saying you are being left behind and the outsider is taking your place. That's a much more radical and offensive statement that even stirs offense in me even now as I say it. That is a hard saying. Yeah, which is the – that's also the message of the the banquet, right? Yeah. And the people who are initially invited don't come. What's he going to do? 
It's going to kill him, right? It's going to throw him out, right? Go go and bring in other people. That's a harsh yeah. word, man. man that's well, a harsh that's word. And it follows on this earlier word that they referred to as gracious. Look at verse 22, which sticks out to me more now hmm. than it did last week. Yeah. And all of them were marveling at him, right? Um, oh, all that were, all that what was verse 22. Yeah, all were bearing witness to him. Interesting. Uh, translation doesn't capture that. All were testifying to him about him and were marveling upon his words of grace that were proceeding out of his mouth and were saying, is this not uh, Joseph's son? Which is itself a phrase that you can play the tone game with. Like, how are mm-hmm. they meaning that? Are they kind of being mm-hmm. suspicious? Are they being blown away? Are they being impressed? What's going on there? But, but like... Words of grace, which is how you describe the sermon up to this point. And then it takes a turn, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it, I, uh, words of grace is not how I would describe the next uh, couple sentences. Do you well, know what I mean? Like, like or Jesus. there's a different kind of grace. There are grace to those. Yeah, right. It's like Jesus is, is cutting through it all. Yeah. Know, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like somebody hit fast forward um, between what exchange could have happened and Jesus is going right to it that uh, – <laughs> You know, instead of surely you'll say to me, it, it's like I'm thinking about eventually you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. Yeah. yeah. You are going to get yep. there. Let me just bring you, let me hit fast forward and bring that to us right now. This is the, this is the choice you've got to make. Which is it going to be? What's it going to be? This is the choice you've got to make. Um, what you're, what you're going to do with me. Uh, it's interesting because I was thinking back, um, John's preaching. And their response to him, right? He has this this, this preaching brood mm. of vipers who warned you to flee from the ra- from the wrath to come. I guess I, yeah. Now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Um, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, "What shall we do then?" Right? I wonder. It's, huh. like, it's like Jesus is, is modeling. So that actually does parallel Peter's sermon. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah like that's Jesus <laughs> is modeling the his mentor. Right? He's modeling John the Baptist. Like, let's cut right to it. This harsh word. We're, we're just going to cut through all this stuff. This is what you've eventually got to wrestle with, and instead of them, instead of them um, affirming him, instead of them having this repentant attitude, it's expulsion. Yeah, I think that's a really fitting way that you implied there about what prophetic preaching is. When you, you know, cut, cutting to the heart of the matter, but then that language of he fast forwards. That made me think of prophecy as like prediction is fast forwarding. It's seeing what's to come, but sometimes we think of it only as prediction and it makes it separated from now. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's kind of, it's fast forwarding saying, this is where things are headed. Mm -hmm. This is what's at stake, right? That that's maybe something that unites all kinds of different prophetic um, preaching from Isaiah to Joel, to John the Baptist, to Jesus, to Peter, to us today. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I think maybe we should take a little break and when we come back, maybe swap some sermon ideas. Sound good? Let's do it. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, weekly podcast where a couple seminary profs uh, swap some uh, sermon ideas and do some observing of the text. We spent some time now, about 20 or so minutes, just uh, looking at what jumps out of us. Uh, I'm sure we had some 
initial sermon ideas brimming, but now we're kind of think, okay, what if uh, we were preaching this coming Sunday? Sometimes we were on the docket and doing that, but uh, where uh, where might we go? What are some what are some angles that we might work and some directions we might um, move in the development of preaching and teaching this text? You got a winkle yet there? Uh, what's uh, your angle? What's your winkle so far? Where would you well, go? I'm I'm thinking about kind of phenomenologically that words are going into their ears and wrath is filling them up Hmm. and kind of what, what we will do with the words of Jesus when they enter us, when they enter our lives at at first, they are, they are, they marvel, right? They, Hmm. they bear witness to them. Words are coming out of them about him. They marvel his gracious words, right? They're going into him and there's, there's a sense of wonder and marvel, but now his words have gone in and they are filled with wrath. Hmm. And maybe teasing out um, a sense of how do we respond to the words of Jesus? Um, um, what, what is the, what's the posture? What's the condition of our heart? What's the, what's the intentional act we need to, how do we intentionally respond to these words hmm. so that we aren't filled with wrath? And, and maybe even, painting this as an expected response. I mean, I know for Hmm. me, like you never want people to think bad of you. You never want people to, at at times the words of Jesus filled people with wrath huh? and not to presume that, uh, which side I'm on, you know, not to presume that I'm, uh, the Syrian or the, or the person from Sidon and not, or not to presume that I'm the person from, from Israel, Hmm. you know, not, not, not to presume where I am in the story, except to hear the words of Jesus and to ask, what do they do in me? What happens in me whenever I hear these words? Mm-hmm. And and so you might need to give a bit more context, but I think that's kind of uh, trying to, to to replicate that razor's edge, so to speak, yeah. by giving some phenomenological response. How how do these words? What wells up within us when we hear these words? Hmm. Yeah, and that gives an opportunity to really take seriously um, the offense, the scandal that Jesus right. can be and is. Um, yeah, when I was hearing you share that, I I was uh, I, I couldn't help but think about when when I'm listening to preachers and I get filled with wrath. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when I get annoyed or frustrated or um, offended or turned off. You know, and some sometimes it's just arrogance. I think I know better. You know, sometimes um, it's compassion. I really do feel like they're misleading mm. the flock. Mm. Uh, sometimes there's just a word of conviction there, and I'm finding a way to hide and resist. Yeah, right, and and it's not always immediately evident, um, and it takes some time often to discern. You know. What is this reaction in me? Um, I'll never forget when I I heard a friend of mine when I went to we, we went to college together and I, I visited him a few years later at his local church where he was the solo pastor and and he gave a sermon on how to listen to sermons. <laughs> it was this great and it was a great <laughs> sermon, like ten points. It was like really practical and helpful, and you could tell it was just like. He'd realized like his people didn't know how to listen to sermons and he was going to teach them how to listen to sermons. And it was just, Hmm. I was really struck. Like it was really, when he started, I was like, what is he doing? This is a really bizarre uh, choice. It's a little meta, a little self-referential, you know? Um, But it was, ended up just being this really helpful, simple sermon. I just thought of that in 
that 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 this is a your idea kind of links up with that a little bit where it just has that very kind of like you say phenomenological and practical exploration of you know how do we how do we respond to the words of Jesus um what do they stir in us and how can we begin to discern what the spirit's really doing in us do you know what i mean i think related to that is uh there could be elements of warning when we become too familiar with Jesus yeah you know th- those one that one can can lead into the other um what happens like aw Tozer said what happens when we get bored with god and the huh. things of god when jesus becomes a little too familiar um, yeah. how might jesus fast forward the words the conversation in our lives to put us on the line mm. you know do we think he does that hmm. do we really think that he will say something to us that is going to put us in a you know fisher cut bait yeah choice because we talk a lot about journey right we talk a lot we talk a lot about process we you know we've, we've got these metaphors for a relationship with relationship itself is a is a mm-hmm. is a kind of extended. extended yeah you know we we don't often and it's think not untrue Jesus. the fast forward implies it is a journey but sometimes you get some moments of foresight yeah 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 this is of, what's coming a decision is coming yeah and it might as well be now you yeah. know that's none what a prophet right. does yeah. <laughs> none, none of those are not true they're just not Always. That's right. And they're not the whole truth. They're one-sided. Yeah. 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 And I think we've often, I think right now, if I look at a lot of North American preaching that I've heard, so I'm limited to me, is I hear a lot more about um, direction, journey, process, and less about what are you choosing today mm. and mm-hmm. what looks different today? The ax is at the root of the tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, are, what are you going to do? What's yeah. the, what's the response? How do I respond the, the, right, the, to this the, word today? The blessing of God is leaving you and is going somewhere else. Just like it did then. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Here, how are you going to respond? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it, not to, to you expel Jesus from your life. Yeah. Like, like Yeah. And we do that in nice ways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We expel Jesus from our lives in nice ways. And this, is, this is an edgy sermon, Aaron. It's yeah. making me uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to expel you from my office. No, that's good, though. It's working. You know? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling my body squirm yeah. as you talk. And that probably means that I'm experiencing, like, it's one of those things where you can preach a sermon that follows the text and its details but actually you know, follows the letter, but not the spirit, you know, and where, and you can have a sermon that doesn't hug the letter, but captures the spirit. And mm-hmm. the stuff you're saying right now, I feel is capturing the spirit mm-hmm. of this text. You know, it has a spirit of challenge of discomfort. And if there's not any discomfort in the sermon, one wonders if it is contradicting the spirit of the text, you well, know, yeah, at least well, a little. Well, included. <laughs> and, and, and when I have that in mind, I kind of appreciate these, these people that have, at least taken a clear response. <laughs> right, right. You know? Like I wish you were hot or cold, right? Yeah, From Revelation. Know, like, like they they're they're pretty clear that they're gonna get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Extreme, violent, but I mean like I'm I'm a nice guy. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna expel Jesus nicely. I'm gonna kinda of like I'm gonna ghost him, right? I'm gonna just kinda <laughs> pretend he's not he's not really there until he gets the hint that oh, he doesn't want me around, you know? Maybe that's just, maybe that's the title I'd give. Ghosting Jesus. Jesus, yeah, that's yeah. a good sermon, dude. Yeah. This yeah. is this is coming along pretty good. <laughs> Ghost, and that's what we do, right? Like raise the stakes for a moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we and it stop doesn't praying intentionally. We stop inviting him into important decisions. 
we kind of go about our life mm-hmm. thinking that we can we, we we build our own lives on little hills that that yeah. aren't him. And you can even bring up the journey metaphor and say, "Hey, I talk that way a lot." Instead of it being other preachers That's who are right. better, no, no, I talk absolutely. that way, and it's good, and it's not wrong, and it's not that because part of the problem, I mean, part of why journey language, at least in my hunch about things, that that language has become more influential, has something to do with um, some decentralizing of a kind of decide now about eternity, right? Just about heaven and hell and not about this life, right? And I think that turn is good. Again, it can be one-sided, but um, what does it look like to do decision-oriented preaching that is still about this life and not just the next? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because this is a this-worldly sermon. Mm -hmm. This sermon's not about, he's not talking, he doesn't say anything here about escaping to heaven it's all about transformation here it's a kingdom here sermon yeah and yet which would make you think oh journey yeah yeah right but actually no it's like kingdom's here it's coming it's breaking in yeah and it's taking this form what do you think about that how are you going to respond yeah so then the decision because because even journeys have key moments of decision turning points right there are plot points in a story right and Jesus presses that on us from time to time. And how do we respond when that comes? Yeah. Dude, I love this sermon. I'm getting excited. Ghosting Jesus yes, by Aaron Ghosting Perry. <laughs> Aaron John, H. and Perry. John L. John L. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is your Winkle, man. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you could, and you could play off the, the Acts 2 if you wanted. You could throw that in at the end. Well, There's another, or next on another week. Yeah. It's always a discussion. But you could do it where you could say, how else could you respond? Maybe even after a song, you know, the altar call could be. Here's another response, mm-hmm. you know, cut to the heart, mm-hmm. right? You know, I mean, you could play with that. I think, I think that's just an important note to make whenever you are writing sermons is some of the best insights you have don't get preached in the sermon you're preaching. That's true. Because they don't fit. And you just got to be, man, but it, it hurts. Whenever oh, that's hard. Right, right now I'm I, bummed. I've like, I really want to make that connection act too, but it might be the wrong move. It might be, it might, it might be the wrong week. Right? Might resolve it too quickly. Yeah. You know, you notice yeah. how this story left unresolved. That you was definitely my emphasis. stuff on the yeah. cutting room floor and that just hurts. And sometimes you just got to take your, sometimes you got to tell your people about the moves that you tried, but that wasn't the word that God ultimately brought through it. You know, there, yeah. there is a word there. There is something to play you can with. You hint here. at it. Yeah. Leave but, little breadcrumbs for people to pick up yeah, in Sunday but, school. But and, this yeah. is the way we had to go, right? Yeah. This is the, this is the turn we had to take. And then you kind of weaving the form of the sermon into the effect of the sermon, which was, I couldn't go down that road, had to go this way. And the, the effect of the sermon is, okay, Jesus fast forwarded that you're going this way. He's giving you the extreme words to bring you back another way. And then the the form of the sermon has t- is also reaffirming the effect of what the sermon is meant to do, as well. Yeah. So you have you got a winkle? Is one sticking? Is there an angle that's unique to you that you know the a part of your heart or your mind that's getting you know lit up from something here that you just want to say to the people or to yourself? Yeah, I mean, my one of my favorite things was that that comparison with acts two, that was very fun for me. Again, that's more of a something to play with. That's not a sermon. Mm -hmm. That's not thematic yet, Mm -hmm. but it's linked up with your idea of kind of ways of responding to when the word of God comes. Um, Luke's gospel has a way of doing this, right? But um, this couldn't help of raising sociopolitical questions, you know, that um, when treated discerningly have a, place in our prophetic preaching. Do you know what I mean? And I couldn't help but think about the insider-outsider dynamics Mm -hmm. and problems 
connected and questions connected to immigration. And I couldn't help but think about, like, I don't know about you, but I tend to hear people say either express a sense of threat at outsiders kind of coming and taking our culture and our jobs or whatever, right? And then a lot of people who want to push back against that want to say things like, no, it's great. Celebrate diversity. Aren't things wonderful? And what I love in this sermon is Jesus is actually not fitting either of those tropes. Mm, yeah. He's actually saying, yeah, we, we are being, I'm being sent. The gospel's coming. The kingdom is coming to um, those who have been excluded and it's going to cost us something. It isn't just, isn't this great, right? And we tend to get stuck on a debate of whether um, a thing is good or bad for our polity, our national polity, right? And culture. Instead of asking, like, maybe it's actually a risk and it's the right risk to take. Is this making sense? So it has, it's, this is undeveloped thought, but it's, uh, it's saying something about um, letting – Letting ourselves recognize that there may be some uh, – that there's a genuine challenge here, a genuine cost being asked of us. Mm. What are we willing to let go of? I mean earlier when you said the gospels, you know, I think you said the kingdom's going over here, you know. And what I heard with that was this invitation, well, then I want to be there, yeah, right? Put, like, put yourself into it. Which, right. Or so not. It's a Which sermon it about solidarity. I, I don't think at the end of the day Jesus is saying – Hey, if you're not a, if you're not from, you know, if you're not Naaman or the Zarephath woman, you know, sucks to be you. It is an invitation to say, that's where you need to be. You know, just like earlier when he says the bodies are going to be healed. Okay. Well then that means I need to be in, with those whose bodies are broken because mm. God is with them in a unique way. And so I want to be with them because oh, that's yeah. where God might show up. So there is a kind of Franciscan kind of sermon emerging here, you know, a, a kind of a certain kind of sacramental sensibility about uh, solidarity with the excluded as the place where Jesus is moving and that that might cost us. It's not just easy inclusion. It's not just yeah. bringing outsiders into our safe space, but actually recognizing that the spirit might be pressing us out of oh, a place of safety into solidarity with those who struggle. Ter Track? Yeah. Ter terrifying. Okay. I remember one thing, it, it was clear as a bell for me that a Christian theology of immigration does not start with who you let to you, it's <laughs> where will you go? That's right. That's a Christian right. theology of immigration starts with where will, where will you go to live, not with who will you let come to live near you. And, and that is, that's terrifying. That's right. That's, right. That's terrifying. Because to be honest, you can have a really open policy of immigration. Mm -hmm. And I got another thought after this. I want to, I want to track with and get your take on. Yeah, yeah. You can have a really open policy of immigration that costs you nothing. That's right. And That's you can right. have a very closed policy of immigration nationally and be willing to go and live in places that are mm -hmm. really sacrificial. And, and how important it is for us to, not not get superficially at odds and fight with one another yeah, yeah. At, at superficial disagreements. Yeah, but but to to get in, and I think that that's where I wanted to, to take in the next in the next one because whenever I've got this in mind, what you're saying about what's it the cost of it is so many times 
the big picture problems can be just distractions mm-hmm. and can be used to let us off the hook from the right. small ones. How about, I live. Because, man, mm-hmm. we, we've got people from Tyre and Sidon that live next door to us, that live up the street from us, and that live in other countries. I mean, like, Tyre and Sidon is all – they're all over the – wherever you want to find people from Tyre and Sidon, God will put you near them. And and I might not be able but to – How will uh, you respond back to your I sermon. might not be able to affect <laughs> right. national policy, you know, either maybe effectively or winsibly. And man, those are complex questions. Like, there's a certain amount of arrogance that presumes – easy answers on one side or the other. You know, those are really complex questions, but, but there's a certain simplicity of says the candidate who's currently suffering under <laughs> complex immigration regimes. Well, but, but, but yeah, they are, they're bi- They are bigger than us. And that's why we like to talk about them because it's fun. Off the hook. It's fun to have an opinion about stuff and be right about something that I actually can't control. <laughs> and, and, and it lets us off the hook. Yeah. Right? That's a good insight. Because then it's yeah. like, I I, oh, it, you know, it's brothers Karamazov. I'm kind to the person I will never meet. Right, right, right. Rather than the person the that one is right in is, front of my face. You know, who's who's blow, who's when they crunch their chips and blow their nose bugs me and right irritates me. And and the, Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with a sermon from Isaiah. Very the gospel to the the poor, heal the brokenhearted, liberty the captive, sight to the blind. I mean, there's you know. You could take those metaphorically really easily that I think is still faithful. I can't heal people of sight, but man, I can, I can share my story. I can allow them, I can allow myself to be seen and be vulnerable to, to wise degrees and be authentic. You know, that's a way of giving sight to the blind. You know, I think it's a faithful way of, of being involved in the life of somebody that may think God is far from them. That's a way of being Elijah and Elisha. You know, then we haven't talked about them. That's another way you could even take this. That's right. Is, is, and they're being sent. Yeah. Strain. And notice there's both forms here. Eli, Eli, let's see. It's even in the language, right? It's uh, Elijah was sent to Zarephath, right? To mm-hmm. the land of Sidon. But then Elisha, um, Naaman, if you know the story, right. comes right. to him. Yeah. So you get both the centripetal and tre- centrifugal migration. And that's why, I mean, at the end, we don't have a theology of immigration. A theology of immigration takes is always going to be a nationalistic theology. It's going to be a theology of my country and people who are immigrating into it. Mm -hmm. There's immigration, there's emigration, Mm -hmm. moving away, moving into. Mm -hmm. And ultimately you have to have a theology of migration, a theology of movement. Mm -hmm. People move around for all kinds of reasons. And a theology exclusively that thinks in terms of categories of immigration are thinking in terms of a national discourse and asking theology to speak into it rather than having being willing to have some theological questions that even challenge the assumption that, you know, my national identity is the standard. And I'm just asking how to be nice about it. You know, how many people I let in to me as if I'm the place that everyone wants to be. Right. Um, and anyway, I don't even know if this connects, but I love the line that, you know, I was thinking of it when you were talking earlier, but immigration's an issue. Immigrants are people, mm. right? So how are you – whatever you're talking about an issue, although I think there are better and worse positions, I'm not going to let people off the hook in that direction either. Nevertheless, we're not let off the hook in terms of people. When you're encountering actual persons, mm-hmm. how do you respond? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Do you respond with wrath? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Do we only want to hear the gracious good words of Jesus when he's going to do us a favor? And do we respond with wrath? When he challenges us to either receive the stranger or to go Same and too. be a stranger, yeah. so I think both sides of it would be fun to play with. Yeah. Elijah, Elisha. That's an, that's an interesting. Which links, interesting yeah, which links to which it links to Luke and Acts, which are loosely kind of Elijah yeah. and Elisha because yeah. they repeat all the miracles just like 
Elisha repeats all the miracles of Elijah, but better, mm-hmm. greater spirit. Anyway, sorry, that's a that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> and, and well, yeah, and Acts, that on. Acts has people coming into the church, and it has the church going right. all over the place. Right? There's there's both of those both those activities, centrifugal and centripetal movement mission. Yeah. See, and now we should take it in a Trinitarian direction. Oh, no, bro. The Trinitarian life of God oh, is both, and stop. The, the, the <laughs> life of God is drawing in and is going out and. Jeez! Oh, oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> well, it did get a little serious, so I was glad for that. <laughs> I think uh, last week um, I uh, I read a prayer that was riffing off this passage, and I kind of feel like just doing it again. Cool, because it might. Let's just see if it if it has a different vibe now that we've read the rest of the story in Nazareth. Christ proclaims the year of Jubilee. Give sight to the blind. Let lame ones walk. Preach good news to the have-not folk and set the captives free. It was Christ in me, driven to cliffhanger fears, who whispered in the jeers, No good thing here can you do. Only few respond. Your freedom lies beyond a broader place, another year. God, grace me in what grief I find to grow in love in heart and mind till I embody Jubilee. All right. Have a good preach. <laughs> <laughs>